1: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker,
3: sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com, on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX.
1: And welcome to Overnight America. Okay, okay, okay. Things are going all right kind of you watched the press conference from president biden earlier <laughs> everything's okay yeah right <laughs> it was pretty bad I, I feel like the press that were called on inside of the press conference themselves I, it, it's almost like they had to submit their questions ahead of time because i think joe biden was reading answers based on the order of the questions that were being asked like he was just going down the line It's like okay if i know i Click on this person or uh, call on this person. We can get this question. I'll read this note. And he was looking down for half of the press conference reading from a sheet of paper. The president of the United States. You waited that long? 60-some days for a press conference? 65 days in office to have a formal press conference? And you waited for that? And it was like he was watching yeah. his clock. He had, Okay, he's got his um, handler that's keeping an eye on the watch. And then as soon as that hour marker hit, see you later, that's all I can handle. Oh, boy, that was not a good showing, not a good showing at all. So I do want to talk a little bit about the press conference from earlier later this hour, too. We're actually going to be talking to a public historian and someone that's here with the History Museum in St. Louis. Andrew Wenko, is his name. And there was an announcement that here in St. Louis was one of Edison's very first recordings from Edison. 1878. It was a tinfoil recording. And I've seen some of the old Edison recordings, and I've heard some of them, and I've seen demonstrations on how the devices worked. I've seen people give samples of Mary had a little lamb and things. But how is this one different, and why is this one significant? It's going to be part of an exhibit that they roll out later this year, which is actually really cool. And I do want to uh, mention a few other things that we're going to be going to in the the, uh, course of the show. You know, I wasn't planning on bringing this up this early, but I might as well, just real quick. Today would have been Robert Hyland's 101st birthday. He was born in 1920. Mr. Hyland was the general manager of KMOX, and just a few weeks back, we actually re-aired my radio documentary on Robert Highland to highlight some of the different accomplishments and really his contribution into the radio industry and talk radio and putting KMOX as one of the most significant radio stations in the entire country, still looked at as one of the most significant when it comes to just radio stations in general. Look at a place like St. Louis, Missouri. It's not a New York City in comparison to population. It's not a Los Angeles in comparison to population. However, whenever they looked at the top radio stations in the world, they always looked at KMOX and respected that. And when it came to the amount of money generated, the generation of ad revenue was in there with all of the top stations across the country. It was really remarkable. And to think it's a lot different in today's world, the way radio is looked at. But you go back to 1960, it was a different landscape. And it was a unique thing to say, we're going to launch a radio station entirely of a talk format. And at your service, being that first program, such a cool thing and such great history on these very call letters and on this very frequency. And all the great people that Robert Highland contributed to, and you even heard from Bob Costas not that long ago. He was on with Dave Glover when Dave launched a show here on KMOX earlier this week, talking about some of the significance of the radio station and Robert Highland. So I wanted to play for you just in honor of Robert Highland in what would have been his birthday today, which is March 25th. He was born in 1920. I have two things for you. Um, six. This would have been 1980. So looking back at at your service. 1980, it would have been 20 years old at that point. And they were asking him, what are your highlights at the radio station? The radio station and really talk radio as you launched it. What
0: is the highlight of, of uh, At Your Service over the last 20 years?
1: Well, if you ask a broadcaster, they'd all say they were, Peter. <laughs> Mr. Hyland, what do you think is that? Well, and that's Ann Keefe's voice, by the way. Think is well, highlight.
2: we've had so many highlights and so many thrills, millions of phone calls and thousands of guests. Uh, we've had so many, Peter, it's hard to put them in, uh, really, in, in order. What what would be the biggest thrill? We've had presidents on, we've had kings, we've had princes, we've had uh, wives of presidents. Uh, Mrs. Eleanor Roosevelt was here. We have the three governors at one time when they had these big uh, uh, problems in the states 20 years ago. We've had uh, the, the nuns on when they made that famous march at Selma, Alabama. We've had... I could go on forever. The The list is endless. And so the highlights are, it's hard to say which one really was the greatest. They're, just having the program on is still a great highlight for all of us.
1: And I have to double check. I think that was the voice of Peter Lund, who was the CEO of CBS at the time. And if, I, if I'm correct, I believe he's still alive. I think he is. And he is someone I should reach out to and see if we can talk to him about KMOX and what that meant. Because he was giving a lot of compliments to KMOX and Robert Highland. A lot of people, and people have mentioned this, and I think even Bob Costas mentions it mostly when he talks about the significance of KMOX as a radio station. It was looked at as the crown jewel of the CBS operations. The crown jewel. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, You think about all the great organizations that they were a part of, and radio stations, television stations.
2: Well, it really is delightful. 20, that's magnificent, 20 years. Well, it's it's been a very great uh, love affair that we've had with our community here, and they've responded tremendously, and we're delighted to celebrate this 20 years. And as I said to members of the staff this morning, I'm sure whoever is here 20 years from now will still be doing at your service.
3: I'm sure you're right. I, I really
0: should say in a, in a, in a moment of seriousness, uh, Bob, how proud everybody at uh, CBS is, of you and all of the people at KMOX for the job you've
1: done over the last 20 years and more. Yeah, so if you were looking into the future, 20 years from that point would have been 2000. And sure, a lot has changed since then, and we're even 20 years removed from that point. Think of it this way, where they were looking 20 years in the future, we're even further removed from that marker where it was 20 years of the future. That's such a weird thought, isn't it? All right. So when we come back, I want to play just a couple of moments from the press conference earlier today. And then a little bit later, we're going to be talking history with a historian, Andrew Wenko, in the Edison tin foil. That's going to be making an appearance here in St. Louis, where the recording originated 1878. Really cool. This is overnight America. KMOX. Next level listening news radio, 1120 AM 98.7 FM KMOX. The voice of St. Louis. Welcome back, and I wanted to mention something that happened down in Alabama with some tornadoes that have been moving through that area. It's actually pretty devastating looking at some of these photographs, and it just reminds you of how severe weather, when it hits, it just happens so quick. Uh, so with those tornado watches in central Alabama that continues all the way through Friday morning, there's some areas where I'm looking at this Alabama tornado, and whew, the truck's getting caught, houses getting leveled, what you do is you, you look at a home where, you know, a family would have stayed, and next thing you know, it doesn't have a wall, and you're looking right through a living room with full of wood debris. It's just really scary, and another reminder that when those alerts do happen, that you got to take them so seriously. You ha- I mean, that you don't mess around with tornado watches and warnings. So, um, lots of thoughts and lots of love to our friends in Alabama tonight who may have found themselves damaged from a tornado that went through there. Still, I don't know the extent or exactly how many homes or families were uprooted, or really if there was any lives that were lost in that, but they're still watching. I mean, even now, they're still watching and keep an eye out on the weather in Alabama. And you may be down there. Definitely, I would encourage you, if you're listening to this show, listen to local media, turn on local radio stations, the ones that are out there, to try to give you all the up-to-date weather alerts in your local area. I mean, that's what local radio does best when it comes to alerts like this. Very good. All right. So I wanted to just talk briefly about the press conference from earlier today. I got to say, waiting 65 days for this is a huge disappointment. I don't think that President Biden was all that exciting. Uh, I don't think he was meant to be exciting. But the thing that really is a distraction of it all is that we're going to ask questions in the order that I have written down. And so I can keep the answers coordinated. And that's what it was. It was basically coordinating the right press person inside the room to ask the question that they wanted to be asked and then move on to the next person. There's a few things that I've seen online where people were zooming in on his notes and they had a couple of different guides where it would show, here's all the press people in the room and we're going to circle the ones in the order we want to be answered. And then it, it seemed like it coordinated with his paper with the answers that he had written down because half the time he was looking at a sheet of paper, reading the answers. Wasn't a great look. There was a couple of moments, too, where at the very end, all the reporters are like, you got to be kidding me. We've waited 65 days and you, go, you only give us an hour and half of the time you were just rambling on. <laughs> You're just rambling and rambling and rambling. And that's it. That's all we're getting. In fact, it, people pointed out they completely skipped the more conservative news networks, the ones that were there. They just stuck to the liberal news anchors and the reporters that were in the room. And then there was even the parts uh, points where they were out there kissing and sucking up to them. And I was listening to this. I'm like, the way you're phrasing this question, you're sucking up to them. It's so obvious. It wasn't even, uh, it wasn't even trying to hide the fact. And let me play. Let's see. Um, I don't know if this is it. This is one of the first ones I grabbed. I grabbed just a couple of moments. You know what? Let me do this. There was one moment on the voters and they were asking about voter uh, problems when it comes to these voting bills, the HB1, SR1, depending on if you're in the House or the Senate. Let me play this one. Republican legislatures across the country are working to pass bills that would restrict voting, particularly Democrats fear impacting minority voters and young voters, the very people who helped to get you elected in November. Are you worried that if you don't manage to pass voting rights legislation, that your party is going to lose seats and possibly lose control of the House and the Senate in 2022?
3: What I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. It's sick. Deciding in some states that you cannot bring water to people standing in line, waiting to vote, Deciding that you're going to end voting at 5 o'clock when working people are just getting off work? Deciding that there will be no absentee ballots under the most rigid circumstances? It's all designed, and I'm going to spend my time doing three things. One, trying to figure out how to pass the legislation passed by the House, number one. Number two, educating the American public Republican voters I know find this despicable. Republican voters. Mm. Folks out. Maybe he doesn't
1: know any Republicans. I think that might be part of the problem because he kept lauding that. Oh, I have Republican support. And you go and look at the polls. And when they pull people right now, his Republican approval ratings at eight <laughs> percent. So the Republicans are on my side. I don't know what world he's living in. Either that or he's being fed a bunch of, uh, you know, false narratives from the people around him. Because I, I do wonder, based on some of the looks that he gave, he, there's a, a lot of moments where he looked completely lost. And that's concerning because when you get lost and you're OK, I'm going to look down and just read from the paper or whatever it is. Not great when the president of the United States is lost. Oh, boy.
3: Folks out and outside this White House, I'm not talking about the, le- the elected officials. I'm talking about voters, voters. And so I'm convinced that we'll be able to stop this because it is the most pernicious thing. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. Yeah. I mean, this is gigantic
1: no it's not and let me point this out real quick because i'm going to play a mitch mcconnell rebut of this and i what i decided to do was just take a couple of moments this is about a nine minute speech but i cut a few of the points together so this is uh, edited in the sense just for the, for the sake of time but he let uh, me point out when they talk about this this is uh, worse than jim crow or blah 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 uh keep in mind the NAACP and the ACLU are both against this. <laughs> Not known to be conservative organizations. Okay, all right. Here's here's Mitch McConnell. So all of that that you heard from. Uh, President Biden. It's just a bunch of nonsense in the sense that we're just they, they won't let you hand water. You have to pass our bill. We're going to name it the give water to the people in line act. What's wrong with giving water to people in line? And the Republicans are looking and screaming at this and they're saying, you got to be kidding me. All this other junk you put in there. That's what you're going to highlight is the key mission of this bill. And it's such a it's such a sneaky and sleazy way to try to Uh, to try to divert what this bill is really all about. And let me play Mitch
4: McConnell's rebuttal of this. This is a solution in search of a problem. The turnout in the 2020 election was the highest since 1900. States are not engaging in trying to suppress uh, voters whatsoever. This is clearly an effort by one party to rewrite the rules of our political system. But even more immediately, it would create an implementation nightmare, as Senator Blunt pointed out, that would drown state and local officials who run elections. Now we're in a 50-50 Senate and a narrowly uh, majority in the House, and this audacious move wants to turn the judge of our democratic process into a partisan prosecutor Talk about shame. If Anybody ought to be feeling any shame around here. It's turning the FEC into a partisan prosecutor, the majority controlled by the president's party to harass and intimidate the other side. That's what you ought to be ashamed about. This bill would also expand the scope of this newly partisan FEC more power over more of America's speech, more mandates for private groups to publicize their list of supporters. Associational privacy is a core liberty. It's been championed heroically by organizations like the NAACP. This bill is such an attack on citizens' privacy that even the left wing ACLU opposes this bill. Just the prospect of all these silly new mandates is already keeping local officials up at night. And that includes, by the way, Democrats, local officials who conduct elections. And of course, this thing would even put American taxpayers on the hook for transfer payments. Don't be kidded into thinking there's not federal money in this bill. Transfer payments that would go directly to fund political campaigns. Taxpayer funded bumper stickers and attack ads. What a great idea. American <laughs> people are really going to like that taking their money and spending it on attack ads, bumper stickers, buttons, and balloons. Look, even liberals who like this bill better than I do are admitting all the practicalities need to go back to the drawing board. This is nowhere near ready for prime time. It's an imbecile. Yeah, nowhere near ready for
1: prime time is right. I'll just stop right there. But Think about it this way. Oh, they don't want to give water in line. That's those lousy, terrible Republicans. And if you were to look at all the objections and the rightful objections to this, it is a joke and it is a disgrace that this is how they're trying to frame it. You got to be smarter than that. I hope you're smarter than that to realize what a a charade it is for the president to stand up there and try to categorize it as they won't even give water to people in line. Give me a break. So what we're going to do is... Cover this later in the show. We don't have a ton of time to go through a lot of the press conference, but we will probably in the 10 o'clock hour. We do have a guest that's coming up next. He's a public historian. And he wants to talk about a different exhibit that's going to be coming here to St. Louis at the end of the year. Well, I guess in August, end of the summer. And it has to do with an Edison tinfoil recording from 1878 recorded here in St. Louis. A really fascinating piece of history. So we'll talk to him about that. Andrew Wenko joins us after the break. Also, a look at your weather. This is Overnight America KMOX.
2: Tune In is the audio
1: platform with something for everyone.
3: Cardinals spring training is underway in Jupiter, Florida.
2: And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons. And on Cardinals Open Live, sponsored in part by TRU's Homes. I'm your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals.
1: KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. And joining us now is a public historian to talk about something pretty exciting, at least it excites me something that's coming here to St. Louis towards the end of the year a cool exhibit is Andrew Wanko thank you for coming on to Overnight America hey thanks for having me I like that something that is listed as one of the top 25 audio treasures is going to be in St. Louis but it was actually recorded here in St. Louis and it has to do with an Edison tinfoil recording from 1878 and I got a mention that I think a lot of people have seen some of the Edison different um cylinders, the wax cylinders, and some people may even be old enough to have owned one. And I've seen them displayed and I've seen them used and demonstrated and how they recorded. I don't know much about anything when it comes to tin foil recording. So this is a new one for me. So can you kind of explain what this St. Louis recording is all about?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you've been a historian as long as I have, you think you've heard every biggest and oldest and first there is about the city, but this was a fascinating story we stumbled on. Uh, It turns out the oldest existing American sound recording we can still hear today was made right here in St. Louis, as you mentioned, on a piece of tinfoil, which is so bizarre to most people to think that that was how they recorded sound once upon a time. Uh, Back in 1877, Thomas Edison invented the phonograph, It was the very first device that could ever successfully record and play back sound. This is a massive moment. You know, every piece of recorded music that we've ever heard since... Uh, draws back to this single moment when he invented this incredible machine. So he eventually realized that wax was a very good substance to record sound onto because it was very smooth. So as you mentioned, he he was popularly known for using wax cylinders. But before that, when he first was experimenting with sound, he actually was using tinfoil as the very first medium he was recording sounds onto. And the way it works... yeah, it's incredible to think. You know, it, when you look at this, the St. Louis foil, it looks like a piece of aluminum foil, like you would get off of a roll. You know, when you're making a casserole or something, uh, it's really incredible to see. So what the way it worked was you would hand turn a crank, and you had this piece of tin foil wrapped around a cylinder, and you shouted or sang at this uh, at this piece of tin foil, and a little needle would scratch the vibrations of your voice onto the tin foil. You could then record. You could then uh, play back the recording that you had just made by running it through the crank again but every time you did that the quality got worse and worse you know imagine yourself trying to get a piece of aluminum foil off the roll how quickly it crinkles up and gets ripped This was the big problem, and that's why these things are so incredibly rare today. This is one of two known tinfoil recordings that exist in all of America that are actually still playable. The other one is an 1880 recording that's in the collections of the Henry Ford Museum in Detroit. So this is an unbelievably rare uh, piece of music and audio history, and it's amazing that it has this St. Louis connection.
1: Yeah, I've been to the Henry Ford Museum in Greenfield Village where they have the Edison workshop and they give demonstrations on how this equipment works. They have a lot of his equipment and his tools and things you can go and look at and watch. We know that Ford and Edison are uh, pretty close in that sense. And I know that there's a big statue of Edison out there. And it's so fascinating to see this. And this must have went completely over my head because I don't remember seeing any tinfoil recordings. The thing I don't understand is that it, in the same way of the, the they record this, if anyone's seen like an apple peeler where you put an apple in and then you crank the one side and essentially the apple rotates as you're cranking it and it hits like a little cutter on the end, a little knife or a razor, and then it slightly starts to you know cut the apple core into circles. It kind of reminds me of a, a device like that where this cylinder would move down and the needle would just scrape over the wax, but in this case it's tinfoil, and what I don't understand looking at this photograph is this is a long strip of tinfoil. It looks like it would have wrapped over this coil or wrapped over this tube three or four times. So how did they actually use the tinfoil as a recording and have it that long?
0: So it, when you see the uh, piece of tinfoil in real life, it's about 15 inches long and about five inches wide. So it's actually a pretty small object in itself. Oh. Uh, but the cylinder was so fat, they would wrap it all the way. When you wrapped it around, the full 15 inches was used. So um, when you listen to the recording, the, the St. Louis foil recording, you'll hear this noise going ka as, as the uh, cylinder is being turned, because that's where the, piece, the end pieces of the tinfoil were folded over one another. So that's uh-huh. the needle jumping over the thicker uh, <laughs> portion where the, where the tinfoil is folded together to complete the rotation. It's incredible to think how rudimentary this technology was at that time, but what a massive achievement this was. Uh, it's funny that you mention it looking sort of like an apple core. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch, when this was being demonstrated in 1878, uh, sort of shared that same opinion oh, uh, in the huh. articles they wrote about it. They they said um, housewives would be mistaken for thinking it was some sort of new clothes uh, dryer. Other people might <laughs> think it was a coffee grinder. Apparently that was a big deal that everybody was saying what they thought this this crazy new invention looked like.
1: This is cool. So the Missouri Historical Society, I was looking at some photos that you sent me in an email, and I'm looking at a picture of the tin foil that spread out. In the picture, it looks longer, so I, I didn't realize it was about 15 inches. And by the way, joining us is a public historian, Andrew Wonko uh, on KMOX. And I also want to admit, this may be the first time I've seen Thomas Edison Young, the only photographs I've seen of Edison, he's he's older. So this is kind of strange, too, to see him sitting next to his invention and showing this thing off. What I find, too, is the different uh, branding of this thing. I like looking at, you know, recorded for all time specimen of sound vibrations on tinfoil, the wording, the typography, the way that everything's laid out, uh, the cursive, all of this um it, it, and i just i think the whole package of everything that's put together is so exciting so when is this going to be on display so this is going to be coming here um the the actual foil itself
0: um lives in the collections of the Museum of Science and Innovation in Schenectady New York uh which is of course is the home of General Electric which was um a company that that grew out of a company that Edison first founded So uh, the way they actually got this thing was back in 1978, they had a 100th anniversary exhibition, and a woman who was living in Connecticut at the time donated it to the museum. Uh, She said her father had been a Midwest antiques dealer, and it had always been sitting behind the counter in his antique shop. And uh, it was one of his favorite prized possessions, but she didn't know where he had gotten it from. The only way we know that it actually came from St. Louis is it was still in the original envelope that it was put in in 1878. And we have photos of that envelope itself. And it says right there on the front of the envelope, uh, recorded for all time, as you mentioned. um, And it gives the address on 4th Street where it was recorded. It was a hat shop shop. Uh, and we we went back in in the uh, archives of our, our newspaper microfilm, and we actually found advertisements for this particular performance on June 22nd of 1878. Um, <clears throat> It's amazing that we can we can put together all these little clues and pieces to figure out more and more about this thing. So this is going to be on display. It's, again, as I was mentioning, it's a loaned item that uh, the Museum of Science and Innovation was so kind to let us borrow this for this incredible exhibit we have opening in August. It's going to be called the St. Louis Sound. The exhibit will be a look at all of St. Louis's popular music history from the dawn of recorded sound, which obviously starts with this tinfoil, uh, yeah. all the way up into the 2000s. We're going to cover a little bit of everything from across St. Louis's uh, popular music history. Some of the other objects we'll have on display, a a dress that Tina Turner wore on The Tonight Show, a dress worn by Josephine Baker, riverboat jazz clothing and instruments from the 1920s, trumpets of Miles Davis and Clark Terry. We will even have Fontella Bass's personal gold record that she was given for her hit 1965 song Rescue Me. So we have this incredible exhibit with all of these really fun artifacts, um, obviously, by August, it, it seems like the world is, is getting to a better place pandemic-wise. So hopefully by August, we're going to be able to invite some big crowds back in and uh, get people back in a really big way at the museum for this really, really fun cool. show.
1: So what you sent me a audio clip of what it sounds like. I'd like to play it for everyone so they can kind of get a, a understanding because when you sure. say that, it is the oldest playable. So you actually... Uh, To me, it's so delicate. I wonder how you could even get sound out of this thing. But maybe I'll ask you after the process of trying to even listen to it. So to try to get an idea, many people have seen a record player, so they know that there's a little needle that picks up on the grooves of the record. And the tinfoil looks very similar to that, where you can kind of see the little grooves in it. So being able to pick up audio from tinfoil from the 1800s, you can probably guess, 1878. It may sound a little rough, but you can hear the music. And it's tough to make out, but I just want to give everyone an idea of what it sounds like so we can talk a little bit more about it. So here is an example of the St. Louis tinfoil recorded in 1878. (laughs) That's about 30 seconds of it. I'll, I'll leave it at that. So it sounds like So anyone that may have been listening, it might have been difficult to understand. But to me, it sounded like uh, someone playing a trumpet. And then afterwards, they sang or yelled into whatever the microphone was being used at the time. I can't really tell what they're saying. But can, do we know anything about who was recorded and what was recorded?
0: We know a surprising amount, or at least have a pretty good idea of a surprising amount of what that, you know, that dinosaur ancient sort of sound that you just heard. We know quite a bit about it. Um, So, again, Edison, uh, he patented the uh, phonograph, invented in 1877, patented a few months later in early 1878. In April of 1878, a man named Thomas Mason, who was a St. Louis uh, newspaper reporter, and he wrote sort of like funny editorial cartoons for the St. Louis Republican newspaper under the pen name I.X. Peck, uh, he bought one of the first ten phonographs in existence. You know, today you can go to Target and and buy a radio or a uh, CD player or an iPod or what you know whatever whatever sort of medium you want to listen to music on. There's hundreds and thousands of them available he had one of the first 10 phonographs in the entire country, which meant there probably wasn't another one for hundreds of miles around. He paid $95 for it at a time when the average laborer was probably making about $10 a week, an incredible amount of money he paid for this thing. So uh, Thomas Mason was one of the only people around who had a phonograph, plus he was the person who listed the advertisements in the newspaper. So we are fairly certain that that is the voice of St. Louis newspaper reporter Thomas Mason that you're hearing there. It starts with a 30 second cornet solo, uh, which is um, a, uh, you know, a, a wind instrument. And then um, after that, he begins reciting Mary Had a Little Lamb and uh, the nursery rhyme Old Mother Hubbard. It's so funny. At the at very end of the recording, he actually messes up the words to Old Mother Hubbard and laughs at himself. So not only is it the oldest sound recording we can hear today, it's, uh, it also contains the world's oldest heard blooper <laughs> because he messes up his own
1: recording. Um, you
0: know, it's it's what amazing it to hear that ghostly voice.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, it is strange. And to think. That may be I wonder how old he was when he recorded that, because you think about the recorded history that might have been uh, thinking about the timelines of when he was born or whatever, and the preserved history of something that you never thought you'd be able to hear. But he's saying Mary had a little lamb. And isn't that the same thing that Thomas Edison recorded in his first recording?
0: Yes, so Thomas Edison, um, the the actual recording itself is, has long since been lost to time, but Thomas Edison widely told people that the first recording he ever made on the phonograph was Mary Had a Little Lamb, and in 1927, at, on the 50th anniversary of the phonograph, uh, Thomas Edison famously recorded himself singing, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Uh, this time it was recorded on video, uh, because by that time you could do that sort of thing. Um, and so it's amazing that it has this this tie. It's it's just a coincidence as far as we know, uh, but it's amazing that it has this tie even further to that Edison story. Unfortunately, it's, it's sad to say, if you look at uh, Thomas Mason's life a little bit further, he was right, unbeknownst to him, he was right at the end of his life. Uh, three weeks after that recording was made, a massive heat wave swept across Missouri and Thomas Mason was one of the people who was killed uh, oh, wow. from a bout of heat stroke. He was famous enough that his death was uh, even recorded in the New York Times. So it, it adds even another more ghostly sort of chilling layer. It's chilling to sort of hear that audio, but then to think uh, three weeks later he was actually dead. It's, it's such an amazing uh, sort of chilling and eerie thought.
1: Wow, that is something. Yeah. And then it Probably helps to really figure out the date itself it was recorded. Because, I mean, you time it down, you say June 22nd. That's got to be difficult to tell that was June 22nd, though. Looking at the newspaper reports, uh, uh, he actually took out advertisements. He was giving these
0: demonstrations very regularly you can find at least five or six different dates where he put out an advertisement at the steinberg hat shop again this saturday come down and hear this marvelous new machine the reason we know it was june 28th is because on that envelope that I mentioned, the original envelope that this recording was kept in, somebody hand wrote June 28th, 1878 with a pencil. Oh. So it's amazing that you're seeing this, not only hearing this thing, uh, that this ghostly sound of the past, but we can pin it down to the exact day.
1: Wow. It is really remarkable that all of these things lined up the way they lined up and someone just happened to have something saved somewhere. I got to I got to tell you this is kind of the dream of anyone that goes to a garage sale. They hope that one yeah. <laughs> day they can stumble across something like this. This is a once in a lifetime type of find. What an exciting piece of american history to record and hold on to and what a coincidence maybe mary had a little lamb was more popular than i could ever imagine just being so far removed yeah. <laughs> from the 1800s there wasn't a lot of musical uh pop culture songs that everyone knew the lyrics to that was the go-to uh it's so remarkable the whole thing uh have you seen this by the way in person have you seen this up close Yes.
0: And, uh, you know, we as a historian, you sort of get a little jaded getting to see so many cool things all the time. You know, we're always down in the in the collections, getting to see these incredible pieces from history. But when this actually finally arrived at the museum from the Museum of Science and Innovation in New York, uh, when it was opened for the first time, it was one of those moments of chills where I just couldn't believe here I was standing in front of this actual thing. And then again, just the other day when the Library of Congress announced that it was one of their 25 recordings selected for the uh, Registry of Recordings. That it was another moment to think I've actually stood right next to this thing and and been in its presence. It was an incredible moment.
1: (laughs) And one other question and just the process of trying to get audio off of this tinfoil. And by the way, uh, Andrew Wonko joining us, a public historian and talking about an exhibit that will be coming to the History Museum here in St. Louis soon, just in a few months, really towards the end of the summer. I've seen different specials where they use special laser technology and then they try to like study mummies, for example, or they'll put something underneath a a machine and they'll use that machine and computer AI to regenerate whatever. So how did they actually get the audio off of this tinfoil? And was it was there any technology that was used in order to try to get it off of it that or is it just really the best thing you can do is crank it through one of these old machines? (laughs) That's, that's the amazing part of all of this,
0: is that for so long it was such a mystery. So when this was donated to the Museum of Science and Innovation in, in 1978, it was already 100 years old, and nobody knew what was on it. Playing it back through an actual phonograph machine would have instantly destroyed it. It would have been, been ripped to shreds. There was no other way to, to actually access the sounds contained on this thing at any time throughout history until very recently. So in 2012... The museum got in touch with a laboratory in Berkeley, California, and they were able to actually make a high-resolution scan of the foil surface and rebuild awesome. a 3D model of the recorded ridges. You know, so when, when a, uh, a record player reads the ridges on a vinyl record, for instance, it's running along these tiny grooves that have all of this sound information captured in them. Well, they were able to rebuild this model of of all of that information, and that is how they so were able cool. to sort of play this thing for the first time. So it was silent for 134 years, and no one knew what was on it. When they this first so heard cool. it again in 2012, that was probably the first time anyone had ever heard it since the day it was recorded remarkable. way back in 1878.
1: It's so the incredible. Missouri uh, History Museum this summer will have that new exhibit. It starts at the end of August, and we're going to have to keep an eye out for this remarkable piece, the St. Louis tinfoil, recorded all the way back in 1878. Public historian Andrew Wonko, thank you for coming on and talking about this piece tonight on Overnight America.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: This really is so cool. He joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America KMOX.
3: Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com On the
4: voice of St. Louis KMOX.
1: It really is remarkable, this St. Louis tinfoil recording, honestly. You know, I'm looking at a picture of this thing, and it really looks like tinfoil that's been folded as in as, as opposed to have been kept in a roll it was just folded over you know every couple of inches and you can see the ridges on there and what a great experiment i'm sure you can probably replicate this with the technology we have in our own home if you wanted to do something with a kid i might have to look that up online but you want to get a, you want to hear a little bit more of this recording i think it's just so fascinating that here in st louis we have one of the earliest documented audio recordings Goes to show you all the history that's here in St. Louis dating back to 1878. So here's a little bit of the end of the recording. See if you can make out what's being said here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I, I,
1: I like the laughing part though it may haunt you in your dreams tonight hearing this over again (laughs) part of the recording you know you can't stop once it starts and there wasn't really editing or anything back then all the old timers i remember back in my day you had to record on tinfoil (laughs) i've never met anyone that's ever said that we're going to take a look at your news, your weather coming up, and we can take some of your calls uh, also on Overnight America, the last show of the week here on KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court
0: of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports.
1: At the clock at four. Donchich.